Hey guys. Oh my goodness. Look at my hair. What on earth? Kitty, would you quit coming in and out? Good grief. Um, wow. I'm just going to have to pretend I don't see that. So we are at the end of our Daniel Company uh, study and we're about to have the hub uh, small group here. So I wanted to get this done uh, before everybody started showing up. And uh, we're going to get into Daniel chapter 12. And so we have gone through the king of the north, the king of the south, Antiochus Epiphanes, all the history that has been fulfilled um, with Daniel's prophecies. And in verse 1, it says, uh, At that time, Michael, the archangel, who start, stands guard over your nation, will arise then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. And uh, now this is obviously a shift from the, um, the Antiochus Epiphanes, all of the Maccabean stuff to the very end of the age, and we know that because it literally tells us that uh, that there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. And so we've seen that phrase repeated in Daniel, but also Michael, the archangel, he is the one that is in charge of Israel. So he's letting them know that at the end of the, end of the age, Israel is going to enter into a time of uh, exceeding distress. Um, and I think I've mentioned to you guys how. It's either in Zephaniah or Zechariah that two-thirds of the population of Israel will be wiped out um, at the end of the age. So it's it's going to be really, really bad for them. But the phrase where it says, at that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard, the word at that time puts it into the future at the end of the age with the future Antichrist. And then the word arise means to take one's stand. So this is the final week. This is where the angels, uh, Michael in charge, will begin to take their stand. And uh, the Lord, of course, will end, uh, come and end everything as far as the Antichrist system, etc. But uh, let's see. Let me make sure I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. Okay. Um, so in... Okay, so in um, chapter 11, verse 45, let me re-read uh, that. It says, He will stop between the glorious holy mountain and the sea and will pitch his royal tents. But while he is there, his time will suddenly run out and no one will help him. So that phrase, glorious mountain, is a reference to Zion and also the Mediterranean Sea. Um, while there... This ruler is going to stop and he's going to cause problems. Now, Antiochus did do that. Remember, he was on his way um, from being turned back by the Roman army. And he was mad, so he decided to just take it all out on Israel. Um, so this could definitely be speaking of Antiochus. But we do know from the book of Revelation that the Antichrist will do the same thing. And uh, many of the, the things Antiochus did. So it could be both. But I just wanted to point out the glorious mountain and, and what that meant in the Old Testament. It refers to Zion, but also 
um, the Mediterranean Sea. So in between those two things, uh, this ruler will stop or Antiochus indeed did as history has shown us. Now, at this time, Michael's going to stand up for Israel, which means he's going to start warring against the spiritual forces that are empowering that last Antichrist ruler. And it's like the, um, the Prince of Greece, the Prince of Persia. It's the same thing. Just like Dan, uh, Daniel, no, I'm sorry, Gabriel and Michael fought those uh, spiritual uh, princes. They're going to fight this final one as well. And, um, and, and that, that war over the hearts of a nation, over the hearts of Israel to accept their Messiah, um, is going to be so intense in the spirit realm. Plus, remember, we know that the restraining force is, uh, the geopolitical realm, but it's also the spiritual realm where heaven's armies are restrained from wiping out Antichrist rulers like they wanted to do Antiochus Epiphanes, like we learned earlier in this study. So we have this spiritual war that's happening. There's now a physical war that is happening on the earth with Israel being the center of the conflict. And uh, the word anguish tells us that it's trouble, it's distress, it refers to a situation or a time of extreme discomfort and affliction for many different reasons, and God delivers his people out of those times. That's in Genesis 35.3, Job 5.19, and Psalm 9.9. But what's interesting, too, is wisdom is a refuge for during these times. You know, if you look at uh, the Lord, there were times that he would walk through crowds and not be touched. And then there were other times Holy Spirit's like, hey, you need to leave and go into hiding. And uh, so it's hearing what the Spirit is saying, operating under wisdom, listening to when he says, hey, do this with your money, do this with your time, do this with your home, do this with whatever. Those times where you listen to wisdom and whatever form it comes in, it's practice, it's trial runs for when you might need wisdom as a refuge. So now you're uh, facing something in your life or your business or whatever it is, a relationship where you just don't know what to do, except that you've been training yourself in wisdom. Therefore, you get answers. So where other people are trying to grope around figuring out things, you've either already positioned yourself for the time of distress or you have an ear that can hear and you know exactly what to do. And that Sons of Issachar anointing that I've talked about several times, we need that in the church, sorely need it in the church because there's a lot of people running around with no wisdom. You know, you got to have some wisdom. Um, we know that uh, the phrase, every one of your people whose name is written, the book will be rescued, refers to those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is interesting because... Uh, well, let me just clear up some confusion that maybe sometimes people have. If you're a Jew, you have to be born again. Just because you your ethnicity is Jewish doesn't mean you are automatically going to heaven. Every person, whether they're Jew or Gentile, must be born again because it's not about ethnicity. It's about having a new nature. And the only way we get a new nature is by believing in Jesus Christ and then we confess that belief with our mouth, then we get his nature. So uh, Israel is not a special status when it comes to bypassing 
the story of redemption, but they are a special status and that that's God's land. And he chose them out of all the other nations in the earth. So he's going to finish what he started. And according to Romans 11, that will be the, the unifying, the joining of Israel with the church into one new man. And, uh, and so we see that the Antichrist warring against Israel, trying to take the land of Israel, God doesn't like it. But at the same time, those that are in the nation that are Jew and Gentile must be born again. So where it says your name is recorded in the book, that is what it's referring to. But also know it can be referring to um, Christians as well that maybe are possibly living in the land or just in general, because we know the Antichrist will try to take over everything like any Antichrist ruler. Now, we know from Revelation that... Um, only, well, I already said this pretty much. Okay, now Paul told, told us that the true seed of Abraham are those who believe in Jesus Christ. And um, again, keeping that in mind, things won't be as confusing as you go. Now, the word rescued here means to escape. So the picture of escape is as sparks leaping out of a fire. So you're in the fire and you're going to escape um, thanks to, you know, thanks to God, or it refers to a bird escaping the fowlers. It's usually uh, used within the context of fleeing for one's life as Lot was urged to do as David did from the hands of Saul or as Zedekiah could not do when he was facing the Chaldeans. It's also used to describe rescue from death, calamity, or punishment. So where it says, um, that those whose names are written in the book will be rescued, that's referring to those who know Jesus, okay? And if you hear dishes, you know, and water and all that stuff, Gigi has decided to do dishes um, while I'm recording, and that could be because he doesn't know I'm recording. All right, so let's go into verse 2. It says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. But those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. Now, this is really cool. So he's seeing two resurrections. He's seeing the resurrection of the righteous to everlasting life. And then he's seeing the second uh, death, which is the resurrection of those who do not know God, and they will have everlasting shame and disgrace. Uh, and so that's cool because in Revelations 24 through 6, it describes that um, first resurrection and then the second resurrection, which would actually be called the second death. Okay, in, uh, and I want to read this to you guys in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. 
Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's, that's what Daniel's seeing. Now, this is cool. I did not know this until I studied Daniel. So the phrase where it says many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. So the word rush means to roam, to move to and fro, to wander. It has a sense of moving about here and there to roam of people going back and forth. But what they're doing is they're searching out wisdom and knowledge. So they're not just going around. You know, there's a specific purpose of the rushing about. They're trying to find wisdom and knowledge. So there's going to be a time when many, an abundance of people, will be trying to find true wisdom and knowledge more than likely due to the events on the earth. I mean, when you start getting some crazy stuff happening, you know, people unfortunately are more inclined to follow God when things are weird than when things are good, right? So they're going to be looking for true knowledge. They're going to be looking for true wisdom. And we need to be the ones there to be able to give that to them. Uh, And it's crucial that we are equipped with proper end time doctrine because I feel that the lack of that is going to cause problems um, later on. But if we understand end time doctrine, we can then lay it out for everyone and say, okay, after this is going to be this. Uh, but the Lord is returning, you know, so we can give hope and encouragement to people instead of us trying to figure out what the heck's happening as well. <laughs> All right. So knowledge is knowledge, knowing, learning, discernment, insight, and notion. The word occurs 40 of its 91 times in Proverbs as one of the many words associated with the biblical concept of wisdom. The root meaning of the term is knowledge or knowing. So wisdom is going to increase. Isn't that cool? Because it says knowledge will increase. Knowledge is wisdom. Wisdom is going to increase. And it's a promise. Also, it's used in the sense of knowing by experience, relationship, or encounter. So the wisdom that we carry, the knowledge that we carry, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be able to impart a tangible experience to those when we share the knowledge that we possess. I think we have made God too sterile. We've made doctrine our gods, so to speak. I mean, it's doctrine this and teaching that. And and I love teaching. I love learning, obviously. But every preach, every teach, every prophecy, every gift of the Spirit is for the sole purpose of imparting an experience and a knowledge of Jesus that other people or the person you're ministering to has not experienced, okay? So we should be able to impart wisdom that gives insight to where all of a sudden everything clicks. I had that happen the other day with a young lady that thought that she was tricked by God. And so when we look back at the situation, I said, you weren't tricked. You just, you just finished his sentence. He didn't say what you thought he said. And it just, bam, now she can repair her relationship with father. She can begin to feel like a daughter and she can have that experience of intimacy uh, and enjoyment of his presence once again. So that's what I'm talking about. We should impart experience 
The word without experience is not enough. It has to be a reality in our lives. So Gabriel's telling us there's going to be an increase of this. There's going to be an increase of experience, relationship, and encounter with the Lord. It's also a term that's used to indicate insight or discernment, which I think if there's anything the church needs right now, it's discernment. And uh, it's amazing, I mean, quite frankly, how much undiscerning we have right now. But according to Gabriel, wisdom is going to increase to become abundant in the earth because people will be hunting for it. And the purpose is to get as many people born again in the kingdom before the Lord returns and then it's too late. Okay, so let's look at uh, verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked and saw two others standing on opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen who is now standing above the river, How long will it be until these shocking events are over? The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, It will go on for a time's time and half a time. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. So we know that the last week will be seven years. In the middle of the seven years, the Antichrist will break the treaty that he has with the nation of Israel, and that will kick off the extremely distressing times that no nation has seen since they came into existence that Michael will then war and everything else that goes on that we've, we've talked about. So it's going to be three and a half years. That is referred to as a great tribulation. So the persecution against Israel and Christians is going to be uh, three and a half years. Uh, and what will also kick it off is the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist will set up according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so um, the word shatter means to shatter, to break, to smash, and the other word means power and strength. So he's saying that when his very stubborn holy people, their own power and their own strength is finally shattered and broken completely, the end of the anguish will come. You know, it's kind of like sometimes, I'll never forget, I was in the middle of a trial. And I was like, Lord, when is this going to end? And he said, when you quit getting in fear. And that's what I needed to learn. And I'm like, oh, oh, I have control over how long this lasts. And it's like, yeah. I mean, if you look at the Israelites in the wilderness, they had control of how long it took them to get to the promised land. But instead, they couldn't get the slave mentality out. And they ended up dying in the wilderness. And so Israel as a nation to be reconciled as one new man with the people of God and under the Lord's rule is going to take what it's going to take. And that's sad. So that stubbornness that was from the very beginning all the way to the end is going to have to be shattered. In Isaiah 4, 1 through 6, it says, in that day, so few men will be left that seven women will fight for each man, saying, let us all marry you. We will provide our own food and clothing. Only let us take your name so we won't be mocked as old maids. But in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be, be the pride and glory of all who survive in Israel. All who remain in Zion will be a holy people. Those who survive the destruction of Jerusalem and are recorded among the living. That's that being born again deal there. The Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with the hot breath of fiery judgment. 
The Lord will provide shade for Mount Zion and all who assemble there. He will provide a canopy of cloud during the day and smoke and flaming fire at night, covering the glorious land. It will be a shelter from dead, uh, daytime heat and a hiding place from storms and rain. All right, so let's finish up. I heard what he said, but I didn't understand what he meant. So I said, well, how will all of this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and, and sealed until the time of the end, which we know John saw more of what David saw or what Daniel saw, but even some of what John saw was sealed up. So there's even some things we're not aware of uh, to this day. But he's saying, many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know uh, what is meant. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way until the end, you will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Okay, so the 1,290 days is approximately 3.5 years. Um, and by the way, I talked about the calendars back then when they had these time frames, that they were 360-day calendars. Uh, calendars and so when you use the calendar in the context of Daniel's life it is three and a half years um and so I just wanted to you know share with you that but I want to read uh Revelation 11 1 through 3 because I'm running out of time it's almost time to have peeps over but it says I was given a measuring stick and I was told go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers but do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. Now, Matthew 24, 15 through 22 says, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for the pregnant woman and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Now that chosen ones is referring to us. Remember, I've already talked about this. We're not appointed to wrath. But we are in the great tribulation. We have a purpose. We serve a role. And then you have Revelation 12, 5-9, through 9, which talks about the woman that gave birth to... Um, a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched away from the dragon, was caught to God and his throne. So that's obviously speaking of Jesus. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Now listen to this. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels 
and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. So the woman is Israel as a nation. The child is Jesus Christ, who has been caught up to heaven at his uh, resurrection. During the end of the age, um, Israel will be cared for for three and a half years, meaning a remnant who exercised wisdom will be cared for and hidden during the great tribulation. That's when Michael stands up and now we got something going that has never been seen on the earth since nations came into existence. So they're going to fight the dragon. They're going to fight his uh, fallen angels. I mean, there's some crazy stuff. The prince of Persia and the prince of Greece was child's play compared to what is about to happen. Of course, you know, back in Daniel's day, we didn't have Jesus Christ in his blood. Uh, so, you know, Gabriel had to get some help fighting uh, the prince of Persia. But in the New Testament, you know what I'm saying? All right. So uh, in Revelation 13, 5 through 8, it says, Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. He spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones who, whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Now, the time discrepancy is very interesting. You have 1290 in the book of Daniel, but you have 1260 in Revelation and I believe Matthew. So what's going on here? What's the discrepancy? Um, both are approximately, you know, uh, 3.5 years. But Daniel, between 1290 and 1335, we've got this, this time frame of 45 days in which Daniel states that those who wait and remain till the end of the 45 days will be blessed. Well, the word may, wait means to wait. It means to tarry, but it also means delay and action it refers to longing or hoping for something to happen in a good sense. It also means for the Lord to act or to resurrect. And then the word remain means to touch, to reach, to strike. The basic import of this verb is physical contact from one person to another. Since interpersonal contact can come in or more of many varieties, this verb carries a range of semantic possibilities. Okay. So here's my idea. So you got anywhere between 45 and 70 ideas based on the numbers in um, Daniel and Revelation. That to me is a period of wrath. That's where the Lord returns. He wages war against the Antichrist. He rescues the nation of uh, Israel. He um, takes the false prophet and the Antichrist and throws them uh, into um, the lake of fire along with everyone who took the mark. Those that were hiding out in the wilderness because of wisdom and those who did not take the mark and resisted the Antichrist, because there's going to be some that don't, they, um, if they wait off that delay, then the Lord is going to return and he's going to make contact, physical contact uh, with them by his physical presence. So we're delivered from the wrath. We are caught up before that time. And we actually return with him to wage war against his enemies. And this is where people get confused. They think the tribulation and the great tribulation is his wrath. No, his wrath lasts anywhere between 45 and 70 uh, days. Okay. 
which thank goodness, because I mean, if it went longer, there'd probably be nothing left. Um, and then of course, you know, the enemy is bound and, uh, for a thousand years, blah, blah, blah. But we'll dive into all of that. That is a revelation study. I just got done a few weeks ago and, uh, we'll, we'll dive into that stuff. But I just want to encourage you guys, you are part of the Daniel company. You know, you're part of, um, marketplace ministers and, uh, us taking cities and counties and nations, um, for the Lord. And using our gifts and skill sets to um, build trust currency, to influence kings, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that work will determine whether our nation is goat or sheep. Which remember, a goat nation persecutes the people of God and Israel. A sheep nation does not. So, we're kind of in that persecution phase too. We need to turn it around. But anyway... That's it. Uh, I've got to go cook some cookies. I forget that a certain place in town, you have to cook everything when you pick it up. And I'm like, hey, let's get some fresh baked cookies, right, for everybody. And I, I have to cook them. So I didn't think that one through very well. Anyway, I will um, see you guys tomorrow for Urgent Education.